I love the biblical story of Christmas, but for many of us, we're so familiar with it that it loses a bit of its wonder. We, re, we, we forget how amazing and miraculous the whole Christmas event was and is. That first Christmas, angels appeared and they spoke and sang, and not just to one person, but to crowds of people. That first Christmas, a, a virgin conceived. A star guided some wise worshipers to baby Jesus that first Christmas. Not a real common experience, right? That first Christmas, 2,000-year-old prophecies were fulfilled, and among them, this, God became one of us. He took upon himself flesh. It's, it's an astonishing, amazing thought, in fact, of that first Christmas. I mean, it was amazing and miraculous, but in the midst of all that mystery was another miraculous birth that often gets overlooked. And all the other things, we, we miss this. And so this morning, I want to remind you of that birth, that miraculous birth that took place right in the midst of the whole Christmas story. Not the one, not Jesus being born, but another one that took place right then. Because this birth is a prophetic foreshadowing of God's calling and plan for every person who would choose to believe in Jesus. I mean, it's a picture. This person's life is a picture of God's plan for every believer in Jesus, including you and me. And every one of us needs to know God's calling and plan for our lives. And so this morning, we're going to talk for the next few minutes about this miraculous biblical story of the promised prophet. And after we've talked about that, kind of told the story, we'll apply it all, Okay. You know, a little more than 400 years before the birth of Jesus, God spoke some important words to his people through the ancient prophet Malachi. I mean, we go to Isaiah, we go to all these other passages, we go to Micah who talked about Bethlehem and the birth there. We, we read all those, but we, we sometimes miss Malachi. And this is what's said in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come, and this is God speaking, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You can see why we miss those words. We, we don't like anything that talks about utter destruction, do we? So we, read, we, we would read these words and just like quickly pass by them. But essentially what God was saying in these words to us was that before his great and awesome arrival on the planet, a powerful prophet would arise whose persuasive message to adults and children would assure that it was possible for him to show up on the planet and decree mercy instead of destruction. That's what, that's what the prophet is saying. It's reminiscent of in the old times when, when Israel came out of Egypt. Do you remember? God tells Moses, you know, I see the people... I can't travel with you in the wilderness. You remember this in Exodus? I can't travel you. Why? Because you're so evil, I'll just destroy you all. And so the prophet Malachi is essentially saying, I don't think I can hang with you folks. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send a great prophet to pave the way ahead of me so that I can tolerate you for my time on earth. We don't think of Jesus this way, do we? This is what God is saying to us through the prophet Malachi. And then the Bible goes on in Luke chapter 1 to tell us the story of that prophet's miraculous birth. And I want you to notice, 
We're going to start at verse 5, but as we read, it's like it's embedded in this, as you read on in Luke 1 and on into Luke 2, is what? The Christmas story. Okay? It's not a coincidence. It's all related. Right before the description of Jesus' birth, this is what it says in verse 5, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. The scriptures say here, just notice the, the priestly lineage here, he and his wife. Verse 6, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Let's pause just right there. Does this sound reminiscent of anything? Sound like last week when we read about Isaac, or read about Isaac and his birth, we Abraham and Sarah. We could talk about others in Scripture that this was true of as well. So, but here, the pattern is being repeated here. Verse 8. One day, Zechariah, the priest, very old, remember, serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Let me just pause and just say this. Don't read on. Don't cheat. Just hang with me. There's, there's this pause. He's chosen by lot to burn incense in the temple. Here, here's, here was the drill. Once in your lifetime, I mean, everybody everybody have their their name thrown into a, a bowl, say. It's almost like, you know, the Christmas party the other night and you're drawing out things to see who wins the big prize, right? It's that kind of a deal. The big prize in this case is not a giant stuffed animal. The big prize is you get to step into the presence of God quite literally in the temple and burn incense. Representative of the prayers of God's people being lifted up before before the throne of God is, is kind of the picture of what's going on. And as a priest, as a high priest, you, you got to do this, not the high priest, but, but as a priest in this line, you got to do that once in your lifetime, maybe, if your name was drawn. And so, you know, this was his time. He won the lottery this time. He's winning the lottery. So he gets, gets to, verse 9, as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And it goes on, the text says, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Why is this the case? Let's pause again. Because also it was like if you come in there and your like heart's not right and you're not walking with God, you might not walk out again. I mean, there are those we know in Scripture who walked into the presence of God but were drug out because they were no, the breath of life was no longer in them. I mean, God took it back. So, verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, a very holy moment, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. I want to pause right there. 
If you read this in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline those verses. Why would I say that? We need people in our day all over the world with this same kind of anointing. You see, you see what, the, what the angel says? He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. This needs to be your prayer and mine for our children, for pastors, for leaders, for each other, that God would anoint us with that kind of anointing. Zechariah said to the angel, how can, I, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent, or some translations say mute, and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. You see what's going on here? They're, they're worried. You know, is he dead? Is he dead? What's taking so long? They're wondering why he was taking so long. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. He comes out speaking in charades, and they know something's up. Bible goes on to tell us in the verses that follow, when Zechariah was, uh, when his week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She went into seclusion for five months, the Bible tells us. And verse 26 then tells us this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, notice what it says, God sent the angel Gabriel, where? To Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. You see the context of it all? That sounds familiar. It was at that point that Gabriel told Mary that she was going to miraculously conceive and give birth to the Messiah, to Jesus, God become flesh. The awesome, powerful, glorious day of the Lord was about to arrive. According to the Bible, a few days after Mary heard the news about this miraculous conception that she was going to experience, uh, she packed her suitcase, hurried to a town uh, in the hill country of Judea where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. And Luke chapter 1, verse 56 tells us this, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. Now let's pause right there. Which month was it that the angel spoke to Mary? Which month of Elizabeth's pregnancy? The sixth month. And she stayed with Elizabeth, according to this verse, about three months, which means she stayed how many months? About nine. I mean, or, I mean she was, how, I, I didn't ask that question well, did I? That's bad math. I'll ask the question better. See why I went into ministry and not math and not, not accounting. How many months along was Elizabeth when Mary left? Nine. Nine-ish. That's good. That's good. 
How many of you, if your uh, close relative was nine months pregnant, are you going to leave before the birth? No woman in her right mind is going to do that, right? No woman in her right mind. I guarantee you Mary was in her right mind. Did she have any incentive to stay and see this birth? You bet she did. You bet she did. Most likely she stayed until John the promised prophet was born. If we had time to read all the passages, we would see that literally when she shows up on the scene at Elizabeth's home, what happens inside of Elizabeth's body? She hears the voice of Mary and the baby within her begins to do cartwheels because this baby was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, which is the Bible's way of saying from conception. This is, this is an amazing moment in history that's taking place here. And Mary sees this. She stays. Just think about this. If you've been told by an angel that you're going to give birth to a son and he's going to be the Messiah and he's going to save their people from their sins and you find out that your relative, your close relative, who's not been able to have children is going to give birth to a son who will be a forerunner to your your child, don't you suppose at this point, we know that he was a boy, right? She didn't know. She's showing up to see Zechariah and Elizabeth waiting for this birth. Do you suppose that maybe she was fairly human like us would say, if this is a boy, this is probably all legit. And it was a boy. It was John. Bible goes on to tell us in the verses that follow that when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. And when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed. I mean, there's no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures, you know, charades here, to, to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God, and awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread everywhere throughout the Judean hills. And everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Like Isaac's birth that we talked about last week. Like Jesus' birth that we'll talk about next week. I think John's birth here qualifies as miraculous. It just doesn't happen this way normally, does it? Apparently, John's father agreed that it was miraculous because the Bible goes on to tell us in Luke 1, verse 67 and following, it says that the, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. If we had time, we could talk about the whole prophecy, but in the interest of time, we're only gonna, I'm going to draw your attention this morning only to part of it, verses 76 and following, because this portion applies to his son, to the prophet, and the other portion applies to God and Messiah Jesus. But verse 76, you, my little son, Zechariah says, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, 
The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Zechariah's prophetic words here reveal God's calling, his plan for literally every, not just, obviously for his son, but his words apply to everyone who will believe in Jesus in the footsteps of his son John. Everybody, everyone who will believe from the, this day forward, he's, he's prophesying something about the people of God that's significant for you and me to remember and keep in mind. And every one of us needs to know God's calling and plan for our lives. And let me just say, God has a calling and plan for your life and mine that involves an awful lot of things. I mean, there's some uniquenesses to it. But what this passage is talking about is God's calling and plan that is timeless and irrespective of gifts and abilities. This is God's calling and plan for your life because you believe because you believe. There are three important tasks revealed that are part of God's plan for all of our lives revealed in these verses. Two are expressly stated. One is inferred in the text. The first task is this. God's plan for you and me, His calling for our lives is to prepare the way for the Lord in people's lives. It's right there in verse 76. You will prepare the way for the Lord, the text says. He's not just talking about John. He's talking about us. How many of you noticed the road constructions you came in this morning? That's really weak. Apparently, you're blind drivers out here this morning. But we came in. You can't, you can't not see it, right? I mean, it's a mess out there. Why, why, would, why would you know, our region, why would our county spend gozillions of dollars to turn a two-lane road into a four-lane road and to landscape it, make it pretty, and all that they're going to do out here and put street lights and all that kind of stuff. Why would they do that? The purpose is they want to prepare a better way for people, more people, to access nearby businesses, neighborhoods, and because make it easier for people to get right here. It's part of what's going to be a byproduct of that, right? They're preparing the way for, for ease of travel, for for people with cars and so forth. Now hear me on this. Our job, friends, is to pave the way for belief in the lives of people we come in contact with, just like it was John's calling. It's every one of our calling. It's our calling to help people know and better understand who God really is, what His intentions toward them really are. Not just what they've grown up believing, not, not what the media tells them, not what all the pundits describe it as, but to help people understand that God has come to rescue, not condemn and destroy people. He sent the prophet John ahead of time so he could come in mercy and not in judgment. That's the whole point. I mean, God cares and he wants us to help people understand that, to, to reason with them, to negotiate, to, to dialogue with them in a way that reshapes how they perceive God not to a worldly, secular view of him, but to a biblical, holy, eternal, truthful view of him. He wants us to help people understand that he longs for them to be reconciled with each other and he longs for us to be reconciled with him. We're to prepare the way for the Lord in people's lives. Every one of us, no exceptions. 
Some people are uniquely gifted in this way, but that does not let anybody else off the hook. It's every one of us. The second task that shows up in the text so clearly is it we're to tell people how to find salvation, how to find forgiveness. Zechariah says, you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. I want you to think about this with me. Zechariah spoke this in Hebrew, right? I mean, he's a Jew. They spoke in Hebrew is what they spoke in there. They wrote in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and they, they could speak the other languages, but Hebrew was the mother tongue, right? How does this work in everybody else's home? You know, people who come here from Mexico and they're, they're transitioning to our culture. What language do they speak in their home 99.9% of the time? Spanish, right? They walk out the door and they can speak English, they can speak other languages as according to whatever their skills are and their training is, right? Well, but people speak their mother tongue in their home. I mean, I've, some of us have come from Germany and various other places, and we've transitioned. We spoke German at home, and then we'd step outside the home, we'd start speaking other language. What's my point? My point is, is that when Zechariah prophesies this, when he speaks these words, he's speaking in Hebrew. Do you remember the Hebrew word for salvation? Yeshua. Yeshua. Which is, by the way, Jesus Hebrew name. So quite literally, what Zechariah is saying, you will tell his people, if, if we were saying in Hebrew, you will tell his people how to find Yeshua, how to find Jesus. He was saying this. Literally, the prophecy is this. He's speaking the name of salvation, forgiveness, life, the name of God in flesh. He's explaining to John, his little son, you, you will proclaim him. You will help people find him. That's important to you and me because guess what? The exact same assignment. Exact same assignment. Our job is not to obscure or to hide the name of Jesus. But to reveal to people salvation. Help them find salvation Forgiveness, because salvation and forgiveness are found in Jesus. There is quite literally no easier time in the 12 months of the calendar to tell people how to find salvation, how to find Jesus, than at Christmas. It doesn't get easier than right now. It just doesn't. You can say things right now in your workplace, in your neighborhood, when you have parties with your kids' ball teams. You can say things to family members in Christmas cards and over a dinner table right now. But if you say them in three weeks from now, it would be offensive. Right? Are you with me? Seize the day. Don't let this moment pass. You recognize that this is God's calling for your life. 
to tell people how to find salvation, forgiveness. Be bold. Be clear. You can do that without being obnoxious. I believe in you. I know you can. Heard this morning about somebody who was out at the plaza this past week uh, and uh, heard a pastor standing on a street corner at the plaza shouting, shouting about Jesus and there was fire and brimstone and there was another group across the street shouting obscenities back at him and let me just be clear, this is not what the Bible has in mind, okay? This is not. But it is being clear and kind and gracious and not holding back on what you know that has eternal implications for people in your life. Our second task, John's second task and ours was to tell people how to find salvation and forgiveness. The third task that shows up in this text, and, and it's, uh, this is the inferred one, but it's there. It's our responsibility to remind people of God's mercies. We've got to remind them of His mercies. People's natural inclination is to think of His judgments. You know why that is? Because we're all under some level of legitimate conviction with regard to the fact that I'm a sinner. It's true for everybody. The Holy Spirit speaks to the hearts of people who don't even believe. If we had time to read the passages on this, we would. But he speaks to the heart and he, he convicts people with regard to sin and guilt and condemnation and judgment. So, so people walk under this, this burden day in and day out. Some of us struggle with this, in fact. But everybody we come in contact with does this. And what you and I have to understand is that God has given us the opportunity to partner with Him and we get to be the ones with the good news if we open our mouth and are not mute like Zechariah was for a period of time. In fact, I would argue that when you and I begin to, begin to acknowledge the truth about who Jesus is and communicate these things that you may think to yourself, I can't speak about this. You start doing this and you will find God unloose your tongue in ways that you would not expect otherwise. See, God would have been justified to enter our world with a plan for our utter destruction. But he has not come that way. He came with a plan to show us mercy. As Zechariah said, he came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Just, if it's your Bible, just circle the word darkness, the word death, and the word peace. Why would I say that? Because when you think of darkness, I mean, there's plenty of people in our world that are absolutely confused about what's going on. They have no reason why they're here. I mean, they literally are just grinding it out. God came to give light. You have that light. There are many in our world who struggle with death and just, just are fully aware of the fact that the day is coming down the road. I may love everything about my life right now, but the day is coming when I'm going to die. And they have no answer for that. They have nothing but fear in their spirit about that. And they don't talk about it publicly. You don't read about it when they post on the Internet. It's, but they feel it. And 
God came to give hope and light and life regarding to that. You have that source of hope and life. There are those who long for peace, but all they've got is turmoil in their relational world and in their spirit. Jesus is the source of that peace, the Prince of Peace, come to bring goodwill to men. You have that source. You can make it available to people in your life. It's God's calling and plan for your life and mine. For everyone who believes, it's God's calling for us to remind people around us of His mercies, His mercies. It doesn't mean that we ignore the fact that the day is coming when judgment will, will come. It's just to honor the fact that that day is not yet. And right now, it's a day of mercy. I guess my question for you is, will you do your part? When I think about John, you read, if we had time again to read more of John's life, he, one of his favorite passages was from Isaiah chapter 40. He speaks of, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What's he talking about there? It's, it's poetic language, but it's, he's descript, describing how he felt in his spirit about it, really. is what he's doing with those words. Felt like he was the only one doing this. He's shouting and crying that salvation is available. Turn to Jesus. This is his message over and over. And he just felt like constantly nobody was hearing. Maybe you felt that way. If you try to engage in this, I promise you, you will feel this way. But he didn't stop. And neither must you. Neither must I. It is our calling. It is our destiny. It's God's plan for us. I want to close with these words from the Bible. John 1, uh, verse uh, 6. This is not John the Baptist writing. This is John the Apostle who, who writes these words. But he writes about John the Baptist. It says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. And John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. John was to tell about the light. So are we. That was his task, and it's ours. John was just a witness. So are we. The world in John's day didn't recognize Jesus. Neither does ours. They still don't. But if you and I will ask God for a little more of the spirit of Elijah, and if we will follow in the footsteps of the promised prophet, God's spirit will empower us, just like he did John. And some of the people who are around us will be drawn to Jesus and believe and become children of God. 
because it is God's longing to show mercy to the peoples of the earth and to the people in your sphere of relationships and mine. So let's fulfill God's calling for your life and mine. Let's do that. At two weeks before Christmas, seize the day. Don't let the moment pass. God will honor you and he will bless others if you'll walk in John's footsteps here. Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer this morning. And I just want to ask you, maybe, maybe some of us here have never confessed Christ. Maybe we've never called out to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. We've never understood that, that the solution for my brokenness and sin before a holy and righteous God is, was Jesus. And this is why he came. He came to, to die in my place. And this morning, maybe you just need to look heavenward and just say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your mercy. Cleanse me. Make me yours. Um, maybe some of us need to be baptized. Uh, going to be doing that. We've got a couple of people going to be baptized January 6th, that Sunday. Maybe you ought to make that three or four uh, people being baptized. Maybe you need to do that. It's, it's a physical statement with your body. It's a reflection of what's really going on in your soul, what your belief is. Have you made that, that statement? If you'll walk in these ways, each of us can become forgiven children of God. You heard the passage. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. And if you need prayer for anything, some of us will hang around down here in front, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody here. Thank you that uh, you sent John. And Father, you're sending all of us. It was not enough to just send him. But the anointing of Elijah is for all who will seek you and seek others on your behalf. So we ask for more of that anointing for us, individually and as a church, for your church at large, we live in a time, Lord, when people do not recognize you for who you are. And sometimes we who are your own children barely do. Forgive us for that. But help us to be lights in a dark place. Help us to communicate your intentions with clarity and boldness. Help us to one day meet John and be able to say we've been faithful. We've done what you've called us to do. And may we be there with a whole bunch of people around us who have believed because we believed. Now, Lord, would you go with us as we leave this place? Would you help us to walk in your ways? And you give us courage to do that and guidance by your spirit. May your blessing rest on everybody here. It's in Jesus' name we lift this prayer. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. Bless you all. <laughs>